Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone is having a wonderful day so far. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a few things. We are going to talk a little bit about the weather problems and why these things are happening in Texas and in these southern states. And that's not typically something that we cover on this podcast, but I actually think that it's important, not just because there are so many people who are negatively affected right now, but also uh, because there are a lot of myths that are surrounding this and a lot of um, political theater that I also think is clouding the reality of the why. Um, I, this is not my expertise, by the way. I'm going to tell you what experts have told me, and there are many other factors that play into this, but I actually think it's important to talk about this. We're also going to talk about uh, one or two things that Biden said in his town hall last night and how it relates to the worldview issue of foreign policy and how we see right versus wrong when it comes to um, our foreign allies and enemies. And then we will also talk about um, how that kind of morally relativistic, I'll argue, worldview leads us to create enemies here in our country who aren't actually our enemies, um, especially in regards to categorizing all Christians as Christian extremists and people who cause violence simply by believing that, for example, the Bible is inerrant. And so we'll try to get all of that in today. Another full episode. Um, if I have time, I'll do like a lighthearted segment at the end of this. A lot of you guys have told me that it's sometimes hard for you to keep up four days a week with every single day being so heavy and so much with really hard-hitting interviews and really deep subjects and sometimes difficult subjects to get into. And so maybe a way we can kind of alleviate that for some of you. Now, for most of you, apparently that's not a problem. That's the feedback I got. But maybe we need some like lighthearted every other day or like twice a week, we need a lighthearted segment to just kind of um, just kind of make it not quite so heavy every single day, because I do feel that like I feel that feedback that it can be hard to keep up with or overwhelming to keep up with when there's so uh, there, there's so much there's just so much there because the guests that we have are just so super smart and they give us so much wisdom and insight so much to think about sometimes you feel like you have to chew on it a couple days before you can come back and listen to another similar episode so I understand now for those of you who on Instagram you were like please do not make your episodes any different please don't make them shorter please don't take any episodes away during the week you do not have to fear that's not going to happen. Originally, I said that these episodes were supposed to be about 30 minutes. I've just kind of given up on that goal. And I've realized that's probably not going to happen. I'll try to do that every now and then for you guys. But um, it's really difficult for it's really difficult for me to do for several reasons. There's a lot to talk about. I'm just a verbose person. Um, it's just difficult for me to kind of uh, abbreviate these to 30 minutes. I'm also not going to make them uh, any fewer than four episodes a week. So the vast majority of you have told me that you like the format, you like the cadence, you like how many there are a week, you like the subject matter, you like how long they are. Some of you want five days a week. Some of you want them to be an hour to two hours long. That's probably not going to happen either. I don't know if anyone, including myself on this team, has time for all of that craziness. I could honestly talk for four hours a day but I just, we just don't have time at this stage in our life. So anyway, thank you guys so much for your feedback and thank you so much for listening and watching and all that good stuff. I am very, very 
grateful for you. All right, let's start by talking about what's happening in Texas. This is not just happening in Texas. There's bad weather in the surrounding areas. So um, Arkansas has got some bad weather. Louisiana has got some bad weather. Oklahoma has got some bad weather. All of these states, Oklahoma is more used to uh, this kind of snowy weather. They're a little bit probably more prepared in areas of Oklahoma. Texas, not so much. Arkansas and Louisiana are having a tough go of it. Power has been out for millions of Texans for several days now. Um, we're talking about nursing homes. We're talking about vulnerable people who don't have any access to power. Some people's um, uh, water has been shut off. The water treatment facilities have been shut down um, in some places. Uh, pipes have been frozen. People just have no way to uh, get to the resources that they need to survive. If you think about elderly people who certainly can't and should not go out and drive, they don't have anyone to come help them. I heard a terrible, terrible story. My mom has a friend uh, whose mom is in a nursing home in an affluent area uh, in the in the DFW area, and uh, she has not had power in this nursing home for now 48 hours and has also not seen anyone. So the staff apparently hasn't even been able to show up to work. And so if you think about these nursing homes where they need life-saving medication, uh, a lot of them are on oxygen. Um, they need help going to the bathroom, bathing, eating. Apparently this woman also hasn't eaten uh, in uh, a couple days because she just hasn't had any help. They rely on the nursing home to make their meals every day. I mean, this is criminal what's going on. It is absolutely tragic just how unprepared we are. Now, some people are saying, I saw AOC saying, I saw, of course, Beto O'Rourke saying that this has to do with climate change. This is what happens when you elect climate deniers. And there's a little bit of confusion there because simultaneously you hear from climate activists that climate is not weather has nothing to do with weather. So when people say, oh, global warming isn't real because look, it's so cold this year, you get climate activists saying, you know, rolling their eyes and saying, oh, climate isn't weather, you guys don't understand. But at the same time, when uh, there is extreme weather, you have climate activists saying that, yes, yeah, see, this does have to do with climate change. And so it seems that climate activists and climate alarmists are simultaneously saying climate is weather and also climate is not weather. Weather is not proof of climate change. Yes, weather is proof of climate change. The fact of the matter is, if you look at uh, Texas records for weather over the past 100 years, uh, Texas has had this kind of weather before. The weather has been going through the same kinds of cycles for the past 100 years of records that Texas has uh, when it comes to snow, when it comes to rain, when it comes to heat, and when it comes to cold. This is very rare for Texas to have this this kind of cold to have this kind of snow, very, very rare. Growing up uh, in Texas, we would be super excited if we had one day of like kind of icy snow. It's very rare for Texas to actually have uh, snow, snow, like powder type snow. It's usually some kind of combination of like 75% ice and a little bit of snow. It would last for a few hours in one day. And then by the afternoon, it would melt and everyone would be so excited because you get to take the day off school and all of that stuff. But having like two days worth of snow and having the weather in the teens, that is very rare. It's usually like maybe 25 is the coldest, but usually stays in the 30s and 40s, especially by February. And so people just 
they're just not mentally prepared for this. People don't even have like the right clothes because why would you invest in, you know, uh, why would you invest in kind of clothing and, and gear for this type of weather when it is just so very rare for this to happen? Insulation in the houses, uh, they just are not set up. They're just not prepared uh, for this kind of weather. And then, of course, the energy companies and ERCOT, which is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, I mean, they've they've got some responsibility to bear in all of this. And that's kind of what I want to explain, because there are so many different theories, especially by Democrats who are using this um, to try to gain political points and try to say this is the problem with Republicans or this is the problem with the Republican leadership. Uh, they're making assertions that just aren't true, that just aren't based on facts. And like I said, I'm not necessarily, I'm definitely not <laughs> the foremost expert on all of this, but I have talked to people. I have talked to people who do know so much more than I do. And so I'm going to explain a tiny snippet of what I know and what I kind of understand when it comes to all of this stuff. Okay, quick break. Once more to tell you guys about another new sponsor, and that is Pluto TV on channel 238. It's become increasingly important to make sure that independent voices are heard, that there are ways to get the conservative or alternative viewpoint out there without censorship. And uh, that is why we are so excited to announce that we have partnered with Pluto TV to find new ways to make sure conservative voices are breaking through. So make sure that you go tell your friends, your relatives, anyone who needs to hear some sanity in an increasingly insane and chaotic time. You can watch Blaze Live, our ad-supported 24-7 limited live stream on Pluto TV, like I said, channel 138, or you can drop in for 250 plus channels of free TV, uh, plus thousands of on-demand movies and series, absolutely free. Pluto TV, drop in, it's totally free. Go to Pluto.tv or download the Pluto TV app. So, like I said, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, that is ERCOT, that's um, an acronym that you've probably seen, especially if you live in Texas, you probably never even heard of them because you don't know what they do. They, they have a board that is appointed by power companies. And one of the problems that some people are saying is that actually they're not required to live in Texas. So some of the board members of the Electric Reliability Council of Texas don't even live in Texas. And you can see how that would be a problem. They don't they're not even touched by the crisis at hand. They might not even have any family or friends who are touched by the crisis at hand. And they might not even know how all of this works exactly because they're not in Texas. So the Electric Reliability Council of Texas is under the authority of the Public Utilities Commission, which is the PUC. Uh, that is appointed by the governor and the PUC sets the rules for ERCOT. Uh, so yes, the governor definitely has some authority over this and everything rises and falls on leadership, but he doesn't have necessarily um, so much power to change the way that things are going. The legislature, the state legislature, however, does because the legislature sets the rules via law to say what the PUC, who is over ERCOT, can and cannot do. And so a few years ago, ERCOT decided that they were going to reduce excess energy capacity that they maintain. They buy energy from solar plants, from wind plants, from natural gas, coal, and nuclear plants. Uh, decided that they would not buy 
energy above more than 10% than what they, uh, what they think that they will actually need at any particular time. That's a very slim margin. Uh, experts recommended to the legislature that, hey, this needs to go up to 20%. Like that needs to be the rule that's set by the PUC uh, that then uh, that then regulates or commands what ERCOT actually does and the margins that they are allowed to have. And so ERCOT decided that their margin was just going to be 10%. They thought that they would be able to buy any excess energy that they needed relatively cheaply in a time of crisis. Um, but that is a huge risk. And that's what we're seeing right now. The consequence of taking that risk when it gets really hot, demand goes up when it gets really cold demand goes up and there's just not enough energy right now in Texas to meet that demand because ERCOT decided for, you know, one of the reasons is that ERCOT decided they were only going to keep 10% of that excess energy at all times. So when we don't have the capacity that we need, when we don't have that bigger margin of about 20% that we need, we can't just turn around to the energy suppliers and say, hey, you know, we need more energy. ERCOT can't necessarily do that. It's not that easy. The suppliers aren't going to supply energy that they don't know that they will be able to sell. Uh, wind and solar power, they became totally unreliable over the past few days. Uh, we get about 25% of our energy through wind and solar power, but both of those things froze. So the solar panels were covered in ice, the wind turbines froze. And so now we can't get any energy from where we were previously getting 25% of our energy. So you can see how that's a problem. The natural gas wells froze uh, in part because we didn't protect the valves from severe weather because again, that's just so rare in Texas. Um, and so there were a lot of recommendations that were ignored by energy companies, by the legislature. So yes, there are politics that certainly have to do, uh, certainly have to do with all of this. Uh, but it's not all politics. It also has to do uh, with these energy companies, with ERCOT, with the PUC, um, and with the various choices that they have made and the various risks that they have taken over the years. Um, and so those are that's part of the problem. Again, I'm just scratching the surface. A lot of people could tell you a variety of reasons why all of this is going on in some cases i mean this is this feels criminal the fact that there are vulnerable people there are elderly people there are sick people there are nursing homes that do not have power and have not had power for days don't have water the water treatment facilities are shut down and so some people are having to boil their water or they're just not getting any water at all i mean what is the single mom supposed to do who has to boil water to create to have formula for her infant? Like, think about all the situations in which people uh, in which people are right now that they are just completely without the resources that they need to be able to survive. I mean, think about the elderly people that live by themselves. Think about uh, all of the vulnerable people who are unable to defend themselves against the elements who have been without power, without heat in 15 degree weather for the past few days. I mean, it's, it's, it's awful. There are so many things that the government does in excess. Like there are so many things that the government should not be in charge of, that the government should not have 
uh, their hand in whatsoever. There are so many times when the government just needs to leave things alone and needs to leave us alone. There are so many things that the government should not be doing from my conservative perspective. But it seems like the least that they could possibly do was to ensure that the people in their state, the, the constituents that they have, have power and aren't going to freeze to death or aren't going to go without water for several days or a nursing home isn't going to go without heat for days on end. I mean, some people apparently aren't going to have power for weeks. That is criminal. So for all of the things that the government says, oh, this is my job to make people's life better. This is my job to intervene. This is my job to interfere. You're telling me you can't even keep people's power on? And I think that this is actually this is actually a moment for us to realize just how incompetent government can be, whether it's whether it's Republican or Democrat. Of course, I vote Republican. I don't think Democratic leadership at all would make this any better. People saying on Twitter, oh, if just Beto O'Rourke was our leader, like if if he just came along and he made better decisions. No, 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 no. Like I see no evidence for his leadership capabilities whatsoever. He complained about it on Twitter. He didn't offer any solutions at all. People saying that, oh, Greg Abbott is so is so awful and we just need a democratic leader. I see no, I see no evidence of that. Sure, I think that some things were ignored and some mistakes were made by politicians in Texas. That is certainly true. But to lay it all on their feet is just not an accurate assessment of what's going on. And to say the Democrats would do this better, I just don't see any proof of that. Also, this is happening uh, for other reasons in places like Oregon, places who are used to this kind of weather. There are also people without heat. There are people without power. Oregon is obviously a very, quote, progressive state. So you can't just lay this on the feet of, quote, climate deniers. And let us also remember in California, the wildfires that tragically overtook the state. There were a variety of reasons for that. And Democrats and people on the left had no problem saying that this also had to do with climate change, that this was also the fault of climate deniers. Yes, because climate change deniers dominate the state legislature in California. And I'm sure Gavin Newsom fits that bill as well. No, we talked about it at the time. The reason that the fires could not be controlled in California uh, among many reasons, but two of the reasons were because of environmental policy that stopped, that prevented brush clearing in the forests that can help prevent these forest fires. And the firefighters union had pushed so hard for firefighters to have these high six-figure salaries that the state couldn't actually afford to hire enough firefighters to be able to fight the fires that were happening. Um, and those are democratic policies. I mean, California is obviously dominated by democratic laws and democratic leaders. And we've seen disasters there. It seems like both both sides of the aisle have their faults when it comes to dealing with disaster. And I think that we just both we need to realize that like we can't say that every single natural disaster and every single failure of leadership is actually the responsibility of climate change deniers. I mean, there's just no logical consistency to that whatsoever. And AOC saying that this shows that we need a Green New Deal. You're telling me you want me to put more power in the hands of the government? You want this to become more centralized? You want you want me to give bureaucrats more responsibility? Like, there is nothing at all about this whole thing or any handling of any natural disaster that makes me think that the government should be given more power and more responsibility in all of this.
Um, but like I said, I do think the least a government can do, even the smallest government, the least you should be able to do is make sure that people have power when it's snowing outside. Like, come on, guys. Come on. This is crazy. This is criminal. So continue to pray for Texas surrounding areas. Pray for the people throughout power or without power, not just here, but also in places like um, uh, like Oregon. And uh, just just pray for the power to turn on, especially for vulnerable people, especially for those um, who can't help themselves, who can't provide for themselves, the elderly, the people with special needs, the people who live by themselves, um, people in poorer areas, they just don't have the resources. They can't drive to, uh, to some of these centers that are providing water, who are providing food. They are providing, uh, they are providing heat, um, pray for those people, pray for them to be able to get power. Um, it's just, it's tragic all around. And, uh, tomorrow, by the way, tomorrow is my birthday. Uh, it starts my last year of being 29 and I will be posting, um, about a charity that I want you guys, um, to, uh, to donate to down in Texas. It's a pregnancy center and vulnerable moms, moms who are already in crisis right now, pregnant moms who are in crisis are in special and particular need um, of our help right now. I, they are, they might already be in a crisis situation. They might already be in a vulnerable situation. And the only place where they are able to get the supplies that they need, and not just pregnant moms, but new moms as well, they can't go out and get diapers. They can't afford diapers right now. Um, they don't have anywhere to turn for help. And uh, these pregnancy centers, these crisis pregnancy centers are going to be the only resource centers where a lot of vulnerable moms and families can go to get the supplies that they need. And so tomorrow for my birthday, I will post the link to um, the Amazon registry for this particular center. I would love for you guys to help out uh, Texas in that way and to help out moms in crisis in Texas in that way by donating baby items. So just be on the lookout for that tomorrow. I'll post it on social media and I will also provide the link in the description. All right. So I just wanted to talk about all of that. We probably won't be able to get to everything uh, that I want to talk about today per usual, but I do want to talk about uh, this town hall that uh, Biden participated in, hosted by CNN um, last night, where he he made a series of gaffes, you guys. He is more prone to gaffes than Trump was, and that is very difficult to do. But it's very interesting to watch the media constantly cover for him and tell us what he actually meant and give him the benefit of the doubt and kind of be the Biden translator when he says something that is clearly weird or clearly offensive or um, clearly incorrect, the media clamors to cover for him and say, well, this is what he really meant. I don't remember any kind of BOD being given to Trump when he messed up or when he actually said something was true. They actually worked overtime to try to tell you why it wasn't actually totally accurate. So we're going to get into a couple of the things that he said last night. First, I got to tell you guys about a new sponsor. And that is Issue. So Issue is an all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital publications from brochures to magazines to sales collateral and more. 
It's perfect for creators. It's great for marketers or designers or educators, publishers, salespeople, or anyone who wants to make an eye, some kind of eye-catching content issue makes it really easy. All you have to do is upload your uh, PDFs and your files to issue and they transform them using your vision and your customizable templates to create the content that you want. And so you tell the people at issue, okay, like here are my images, here are the words that I want. Can you give me some kind of amazing marketing flyer or some kind of um, explainer for my class or whatever it is? And they will create this beautiful design for you. Um, and you don't have to do any of the work. You just kind of tell them your vision and they can accomplish it for you. Uh, with Issue, you create it once and distribute it everywhere. Everything is optimized to post on your website and social platforms like Instagram and Facebook. They can even help you make animated Instagram stories. And so this is just a way if you're looking to up your brand, if you're looking to up your aesthetic on your website or on your Instagram, then Issue is a really good way to do that. You can actually start using Issue for free. They also offer premium features that give a more customized experience if that's something that you want to do to upgrade. So you can get started with Issue today for free. Or if you sign up for a premium account, you will get 50% off when you go to Issue. Now that's spelled interestingly, issuu.com slash podcast and use promo code Allie. So if you want to get that premium subscription, which I do recommend because it gives you access to a lot of other things that you can add uh, to your marketing materials. Go to issue.com slash podcast, use promo code Allie and you get 50% off. That's issue.com slash podcast, promo code Allie for 50% off issue.com slash podcast, promo code Allie. All right, let's talk a little bit about this Biden town hall. There were a few things that he said that just that just made me laugh. He said, uh, for example, did you ever think that a few years ago you would see biracial couples? Uh, every other commercial. Okay, let's let's just play that little snippet. Did you ever five years ago think every second or third ad out of five or six you'd turn on would be biracial couples? I mean, that's just a strange thing to say, right? I saw people on Twitter who support Biden like, yes, this is so amazing. Oh, my gosh. I know I'm going to be saying this phrase so often, and I know it gets kind of tiring and, and annoying. But if Trump had said that, they would say that that's racist. I can just imagine Biden sitting in front of his TV saying, oh, oh another, another, bi, another biracial couple. Well, that's, that's, that's different. I mean, I think several years ago, he would have referred to that as, quote, what what phrase did he use? Racial jungle when he was talking about what kind of school he didn't want his children to go to uh, when he was serving as senator. Um, but, you know, apparently this is a sign of progress, which I'm, you know, I'm totally fine with that. If we want to talk about how increased representation is a sign of progress then I would agree with that. There are unfortunately a lot of critical race theorists out there who say that there's been no progress whatsoever in the way of representation. And the fact that there are more biracial uh, couples on television and advertisement, it actually means nothing. Or the fact that we have uh, black billionaires or the fact that we had a black president, critical race theorists will tell you that that means nothing, that we're still in the same place that we were in the 1960s back when Joe Biden turned like 55. Um, 
All right. He also, he said a few other things. He says, everyone knows I like, I like uh, kids more than people. I'll play you that really quickly. Everybody knows I like kids better than people. There's just, there's so many things with that. There's so many things with that. Obviously, kids are people. And so that's a little bit confusing. Also, there were accusations of Biden uh, during the campaign of kind of being <laughs> creepy. It's just, a, again, a weird thing to say. If Trump had said that, oh my goodness, there would be think pieces and op-eds. There would be headlines about how troubling this was to say, oh, wow, it's so obvious that Trump doesn't think kids are people. That explains what's happening at the border. There would be all kinds of craziness and assumptions made if Trump had said something as ridiculous as that. Now, let's get into what I think is far more troubling than these kinds of gaps and just kind of awkward things. I mean, the guy is also, he's just super awkward. And I, I feel badly for him. I truly do. I'm not trying to be rude. or not trying to be mean. I just think that he has an inability to be able to articulate things well. And I, I mean, I also think that Trump had a hard time articulating as well, but he's always kind of been like that. Like Trump's cadence, his rhetoric, how he talks, how he explains things, his mannerisms have always basically been the same. I don't think that's true of Joe Biden. Like if you saw his other several failed presidential campaigns over the years and you heard him um, you heard him speak. You could tell that he was very coherent, that um, he was able to articulate his thoughts, even though I disagreed with him. He, you know, was able to say what he thought in a way that actually made logical sense. He just doesn't seem to be able to do that anymore. And it does make me sad. And he's constantly apologizing too. Like if you noticed in the town hall, he's constantly saying, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't explain that or like, I shouldn't say it that way. And I actually think that's probably a nervous tick because I think he loses his train of thought really easily. And then he apologizes trying to make it come across as courteous. I think it's actually coming across as, oh my gosh, I don't really know what I'm saying and I don't want to mess up again. So he just apologizes for it. Um, it's hard for me to imagine him on the phone with foreign leaders. And again, and I'm not trying to just like caveat everything, but I do think back about what I thought about Trump. And it was hard for me to imagine Trump on the phone with a lot of these leaders too, but again, for, for different reasons. And apparently Joe Biden had talked to Xi Jinping and he was asked about this in the town hall. I want to play you this clip and I'll talk about why I think it's so incredibly troubling and why we should care about it. The central principle of Xi Jinping is that there must be a united, tightly controlled China. And he uses his rationale for the things he does based on that. I point out to him, no American president can be sustained as a president if he doesn't reflect the values of the United States. And so the idea, I'm not going to speak out against what he's doing in Hong Kong, what he's doing with the Uyghurs in Western mountains of, of uh, China and Taiwan trying to end the one China policy by making it forceful. I, I said, and by the way, he said he, he gets it. Culturally, there are different norms at each country and they, their leaders are expected to follow. What? Speaking of following, it was very hard. It was very hard for me to follow that. Um, if I wanted to give an extremely generous, an extremely charitable interpretation of what he said, I would say 
that he wasn't necessarily saying that he condones what's happening there, but that it's very difficult to communicate his disapproval to the leader of China because they have different goals and China doesn't have the same worldview or the same perspective or the same priorities that the United States does. And sure, I, th- I think that's true, but I-, I don't know if I can say that that very generous, very charitable interpretation of what he says is actually accurate. I think that it shows a kind of Neville Chamberlain weakness uh, when it comes to foreign policy. And unfortunately, this is characteristic of liberal foreign policy nowadays. It certainly was characteristic of um, of uh, Barack Obama's foreign policy. Barack Obama's foreign policy was an abject failure. Like when Joe Biden talks about, okay, we got to get back into normal. We got to make sure that uh, we are once again uh, a player on the world stage. Well, we didn't get into any new foreign wars under Donald Trump. And there were unprecedented peace deals that were orchestrated by the Trump administration. And so why would we want to get away from that? Normalcy now under a democratic regime is appeasement to hostile foreign powers like Iran and even Russia and yes, China too. Now, I do think that Biden has appointed some people who see the evils that China is perpetuating and does stand against that. Um, But we have seen, unfortunately, a lot of troubling policy and retraction of policy from the Biden administration. And if you want uh, more information on that, I'll put the link in this description to an episode I did last week uh, when I talked to Melissa Chen. She is an expert on China. She writes for The Spectator. And she has talked about a lot of the troubling decisions that the Biden administration has made and even some of the rhetoric that they have uh, that that they have been using in regards to China and why we should be concerned about that. So go back and listen to that episode with Melissa Chen. She also said something that I thought was accurate and interesting and disturbing in regards to this particular line by Biden. Uh, she said that the idea of universal human rights, which I think most liberals would say that they agree with, and the idea of cultural relativism are completely in- incongruent. They contradict one another. So we can't simultaneously say that every every human has a right to X, Y, Z, and then also say, well, culturally, things are different. China just has different priorities. And that's what inspires Jai Jinping to... Um, place Muslims in re-education camps or persecute Christians or ensure people don't have any kind of freedom of speech or to take over Hong Kong or to terrorize Taiwan. Um, That is a kind of moral relativism that we should be opposing with everything in us. This kind of postmodern, your right is your right, your truth is your truth, and I can't tell you any differently Uh, This kind of postmodern worldview has not only infected academia here, it's not only infected our moral compass here, our sense of our um, our, our sense of who we are as people. It's also affected our sense of who we are as a country, and it's affected our foreign policy as well. And this is disastrous. Like I said, this is very similar to the foreign policy of the prime minister of the UK, Neville Chamberlain, who was prime minister from, I think, yeah, 1937 to 1940, who was known for appeasing 
Nazi Germany, specifically the Munich Agreement, when he conceded uh, Czechoslovakia to Germany. He did end up declaring war on Germany, but it was too little too late. His theory that if we just kind of allowed Nazi Germany to do what they want to do, then everything's going to be okay. It absolutely failed. And it's going to fail here. That's not how you handle these hostile regimes. We've talked about so many times what China is guilty of, what they are perpetuating, and it's not contained in China. They're not interested um, in just a tightly controlled China, no matter what Joe Biden said. They're interested in world domination. And we absolutely have to care who the world power is, which means you absolutely have to care which values a particular country purports, which values they actually have. Do you want the the world leader to be a country who does not believe in human rights, who does not believe in any form of equality, who does not believe in free speech, who doesn't believe in freedom of religion, who doesn't believe um, in any kind of uh, personal liberty or any kind of right to privacy and ultimately any kind of right to a property or right to due process. There is no even-handed or impartial rule of law to speak of. There is no idea of an inherent human right in China. That is why we see the disasters that we do. That's why we see them being a bully, not just to their own people, but also abroad. I mean, they're a colonizing, imperialistic, racist, xenophobic, Islamophobic, um, every kind of phobic that you can think of regime. And people here think it's think it's worse if America is the world leader. Look, guys, there's always going to be a world leader. There's going to be one guy on top. Do you want it to be America who, with all of our flaws and failures, actually do have founding documents and founding ideals, which guarantee people, uh, Uh, people rights that are given to us by God and therefore cannot be taken away arbitrarily by the government and who has done more good in the world than any other country by far in all of history, no matter what your critical race theory curriculum has been telling you, or do you want it to be a country who right now is perpetuating the same kinds of crimes against humanity that we saw in Nazi Germany in the last century? There is no reason that we should be treating China any differently or regarding China any differently than Nazi Germany. And the fact that people him and haw around that, that it's somehow different, that, you know, it's culturally relative, that it's morally relative, that who are we to be able to criticize someone like China when uh, we do X, Y, Z? It is not morally equivalent at all. And this is where the kind of godless postmodernism and moral relativism gets you. It makes you stupid when it comes to foreign policy. It makes you unable to say what is right, what is wrong, not to mention what critical race theory does to your mind. Critical race theory that says everything in America is so endemically racist and pervasively racist. Everyone who is white is either complicit or racist. Everyone who is white is part of the problem. White supremacy is our chief sin and it infects everything and everyone who is non-white is on the side of the oppressed that restricts you from being able to see the world as it is that oppressors come in every color that the oppressed comes in every color and that the history of the world is enslaving and being enslaved oppressing and being oppressed colonizing and being colonized conquering and being conquered That is not exclusive to whiteness. That's not exclusive to the West. That's not exclusive to any particular group. Unfortunately, that has been the history of the world. And trying to view the world through the lens of race stops you 
from being able to see right and wrong objectively as it is. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what Joe Biden is doing here. I think that it's much sloppier than that. I think that it is much looser than that, in that he simply believes that we should kind of respect Iran's priorities and China's priorities and Russia's priorities when it comes to oppressing its own people and its disbelief in any kind of idea of a universal or inherent human right. No, that's that's going to be just as disastrous as it was when the Ville Chamberlain decided that he was going to appease Nazi Germany. And I'm just afraid of what the Biden administration is going to do in terms of sending us back in all the advancements that the Trump administration, for all of its flaws and failures, actually pushed forward. They did uh, they did push uh, they did push us in the right direction when it came to our relationship with China by showing strength. Conservatives and liberals have very different views of foreign policy. And I'm certainly not saying that conservatives have always gotten it right. There are unfortunately a lot of unnecessary warmongers in the Republican Party that are not really interested in actually accomplishing anything through these wars, but are um, they are more interested in appeasing their special interest groups that help them stay um, in power. And so I'm certainly not saying that Republicans have been perfect in regards to foreign policy, but the conservative idea of foreign policy of peace through strength. And hey, it's actually really good if America is the world leader, the world economic leader, the world military leader, the world is stronger, the world is more at peace when that happens versus a regime like China being in charge and the left thinking, well, it's actually okay if America becomes weaker. It's actually okay if we're all less patriotic and we hate ourselves and hate our country. It's actually okay if our economy crashes. It's okay if China takes power because, you know, everything is relative. And look, America has done all these bad things. So who are we to speak? You are just becoming a puppet uh, for the communist propaganda that has been pervasive throughout the communist and socialist world about America and about the West for the past 100 years. So I would resist that um, if I if I were you. Um, all right. I do want to talk about at some point, I, I want to talk about how that kind of moral relativism also it it creates this uh, it creates a wrong view of what is actually well, it obviously creates a wrong view of what is right and what is wrong because it doesn't actually believe in an objective right and wrong. But it also skews our idea of what um, what are who our allies are and who our enemies are. And I think we're seeing that a lot in regards to this idea of evangelical Christianity being the source of all evil and all violence in the United States and just how incredibly factually inaccurate that is and the danger of that kind of rhetoric and where we've seen it before. I do want to talk about all that, but that deserves almost its own episode, I'm realizing. And so um, in order not to make this episode super, super long, I'm going to push that off. And instead, I will just end with this little lighthearted topic. So you guys may have been seeing that. I don't know if it was like a story that I saw, but this is going around how Generation Z is telling older generations like me, millennial, born in 1992, back in the last century, um, how we are supposed to dress and like what is actually cool and what is not. And two of those things that apparently we are supposed to abandon are side parts and skinny jeans. 
And we're not supposed to use, I heard, the crying laughing emoji. Not the straight on one and definitely not the sideways crying laughing emoji. I heard that that is like baby boomer to the max. The problem is, is I'm still going to use, but I'm going to still use both of those. I don't really use like the topsy-turvy crying laughing one quite as much. I use like the straight on laughing one um, quite a lot. And I'm not going to stop doing that. I don't care if you call me a baby boomer. I really, really don't care. The thing that is irking me though, the thing that I will resist with all of my might, that in 50 years, future generations will ask, what did our ancestors do about this? I will be able to stand up and say, I fought against this. And that is changing the side part to the middle part as like the standard part that we have in our hair. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I will resist that with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I've, I've gotten messages from you guys because I talked about this on Instagram the other day. I got messages from you guys saying, Allie, it's not that bad. Like, I promise you, you can put your hair in the middle and you'll look, you'll look fine. Like, you'll probably look cute. And look, no, no, my husband can attest. I look like a completely different person if I part my hair down the middle. And I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that to you guys. I've had the same part in my hair, I don't know, probably since 1992. And it's going to stay that way. It doesn't, I, okay, so my hair, let me just tell you. My hair is very, I have a lot of hair. So it's very fine hair, but it's a lot, a lot of hair. And every time I get my hair cut, the, the lady always says, oh my gosh, this is going to take forever. It's going to take forever to highlight your hair. It's going to take forever to cut your hair. Yes, I know. I have many, many, many layers of hair. And it's also very heavy. Like it's very naturally straight. It's very heavy and it falls forward. I can't, you know how some people can like just kind of lay their hair to the side and it doesn't fall in front of their face. Well, mine doesn't do that. It doesn't matter how much hairspray, it doesn't matter how much I tease my hair. I have to put my hair behind my ear or else it falls forward. It's very heavy. And this has been like a disaster for me whenever I'm on TV and whenever I'm doing like a, a news interview or something, because it doesn't really look good to have your hair behind your ear, but I really have no other choice because my hair is so heavy. And so if I part my hair down the middle and like you see like like both sides of it are coming down evenly, it just falls in front of my face. And the only thing you can see is my nose. And so I won't be doing that. I don't care about how trendy it gets. I don't care if I look like a school mom with side part. As far as skinny jeans go, I don't really care about that. Like I'm okay with the boyfriend style jeans. What I'm not going to do is the like total mom jean. That's just not, that's not fair. Like That's not right. Because that is only attractive on like one body type in the same way that I just, well, I was like nine at the time. So I guess I had the option to skip over this. Um, but the trend of like back in the early two thousands of wearing super low rise jeans that the zipper was like a centimeter, uh, long and wearing them like below your hip bones and wearing a shirt that only showed in between like your zipper and your belly button, super weird. I mean, like I said, I was nine, so I wasn't trying to do that trend anyway, but it wouldn't, that also wouldn't have worked for me. And so I was grateful to be able to skip on over it. And I think I'm at the age now, the advanced age of tomorrow, I'll be 29, that I, um, that I can kind of skip over trends and just say, I don't care. I just, I just don't care anymore. It's really good to, it's really good to get older. Like I wanted to be an adult my entire youth 
And it is everything that I thought it would be and more. I love being an adult and not caring about stupid things like what is in style. I'm not going to wear the mom jeans. I'm not going to part my hair down the middle. I'm not going to stop using the crying, laughing emojis. If that makes me, if that makes me a baby boomer, so, so be it. I'll be a baby boomer. I love it. That's, that's me. Allie Beth, the baby boomer. Um, I just don't care anymore. I don't need to be cool. And I know that all of you out there who are over the age of 25, that you are probably thinking the same thing. And I will stand in solidarity with you so that future generations, that they will not be able to say that their ancestors didn't do something about all of this. We will resist with all of our might. And all right, that's all I've got to say today. Um, I will be back here tomorrow with more great stuff. 